Hello, WeanCast listeners. We're going to take you to the episode in just a second. But first, we wanted to take a minute to tell you about our awesome Patreon page. If you dig our podcast, then you should check us out at patreon.com. There, you'll find tons of exclusive material not found on our regular podcast. Yes, exclusive episodes, bonus tracks, and other especially brown shit. We've got rare tracks straight from legendary taper Fred Moore's own private vault, including a truly bodacious Sorry Charlie, as well as part two of our epic interview with Claude Coleman, drummer of Ween, of course, where he shares such shit as how he came to join the band. Hint, couch surfing at the pod was involved. And a conversation about, and among other things, the pandemic with Tomato 11, band leader of Sound of Urchin and Ween Friend. We're just scratching the surface here. We've also got a vinyl series where we discuss highlights of Shane's swank vinyl ween collection, exclusive episodes covering ween side gigs like the gigantically brown Jimmy Wilson group, as well as articles and pics from our heart to yours. All told, we've got 10 plus hours and growing of materials just for our patrons. We dig doing this podcast and we're glad you're listening, but it just isn't big enough for all the crap we're dishing out. So we needed somewhere else to put all this extra stuff we've got. So check us out at patreon.com slash podcast. See ya! And now, back to the episode. Weencast. A ween podcast with Shane and Rory. Hey, what's up? This is Shane. And this is Rory. And this is Weencast, and we welcome you to a new episode. Yes, welcome. Uh, I'd say good evening, except today we were recording during the day. Yeah, it's a beautiful day today. It's cold, but it's beautiful. The sun is shining. We hope that wherever you are, it's, uh, it's the same. We were very pleased and honored to have another interview with this gentleman that we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, this one sort of just kind of came along to us and sort of fell in our laps, and we were absolutely stoked and, and grateful to be able to interview this guy. But first, we have a couple of things that we want to talk about and a couple of big announcements that we'd like to let everyone in on. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So like you said, you know, we don't we don't plan to do a lot of interviews, but sometimes they just fall into your lap and you just got to go with it and have a great yeah. time. But yeah. So last episode, uh, we were honored, of course, to interview Tomato 11 of Sound of Urchin. And we had a great conversation with Tomato. And afterward, you know, we had some follow-up conversation just to say thank you and whatnot. And he was so awesome to, um, to offer to send us some, uh, some urchin swag. And so we got this great Sound of Urchin swag. And we thought, you know, what, what should we do with this? So we, we want to offer uh, the swag out to our fans. So oh, we yeah. got, yeah. So we got uh, some digital download cards for the Sound of Virgin albums Rejoice and Black Castle. We got liner notes autographed by Tomato, and we got awesome Sound of Virgin stickers. Uh, and what we're gonna do is sell them off to our fans for cheap. Uh, we're not trying to make any money off this. Every penny we make from the sales of these lots will go right back into the podcast. So, so this is what we're gonna do here. So for $10, just 10 bucks, you're gonna get a digital download card autographed liner notes, an urchin and a weencast sticker. And while supplies last, the first few uh, people to purchase purchase one of these uh, auctions 
is also going to get a bonus CD of either the uh, Rejoice or Black Castle album, your choice. So that's 10 bucks, 10 bucks. I'm going to repeat that. You got 10 bucks, you got digital download card, autograph liner notes, Urchin and Weencast stickers. And you also can get a, hopefully get, uh, if you're early, you get a bonus CD of one of the albums. That's not a deal. That's a steal. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I had to rhyme in there, but uh, so what, what we're going to do here is we're going to um, set this up on Patreon. We are on Patreon accepting donations and you'll be able to purchase one of these on Patreon or you'll be able to check us out on Facebook. We're going to advertise this on Facebook. We're going to send out a message on Twitter, probably some of our other platforms too, but definitely those ones. Or you can cut right to the chase. You can email us at weencastpodcast at gmail.com and let us know that you're interested. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll work things out and, uh, and we'll take care of the, uh, the business side of it and we'll send out the swag to you. Um, and so this is, as far as we're concerned, this is a win-win. You get tons of awesome urchin music and autograph swag, and we get some money to help pay for the, the podcast. Uh, so if you're a Ween fan and just looking for other bands to check out, if you're a Sound of Urchin fan, this is an awesome, awesome deal for you. Uh, either way, you should totally check out Sound of Urchin. And, you know, for 10 bucks, you get a lot of cool, cool crap. Uh, we're going to be setting all that up. So once you're done listening to this podcast, you can go on Patreon or Facebook or Twitter and uh, hit us up and we'll uh, we'll hook you up and uh, we'll be happy to do it. Absolutely. You know, I just want to say real quick about that. It would be a great bargain if you're not a, a vinyl record collector because these were really released as a vinyl record package either rejoice or black castle so if you're just interested in the digital format of it this is a great way to get it and you're going to get all of the tracks you're going to get all of the bonus tracks as well so if you're not a real big vinyl guy but you're interested in those sound of urchin albums this would be the way to get it and help us out in the process. Yeah, totally. Like I said, win-win. Uh, and, and if you have questions, we're happy to um, to give you more information if you email us. And when we put up our Facebook ad for this, uh, we'll be showing pictures and we'll, we'll be sure to provide uh, more details if you're not exactly sure what songs are on the album or, uh, or uh, what the sticker looks like and things like that. So we'll definitely hook you up with any info you need. We'll make sure to have the, the complete list of all the tracks that you're going to get, which is tons of them on there. So yeah. we want also want to thank Tomato again for hooking us up. It was something that was his idea and he kind of offered and we were like, oh, absolutely. So he is the man and we thank him again for that. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Tomato. And I I, I want to say that I think it started, Shane, with uh, in our last interview when you mentioned that uh, he tried to turn you off from purchasing some of his earlier some of his earlier <laughs> albums, like the, the the early, early stuff. And so I think he felt bad about that. And he thought, you know what, I'll just hook them up with some cool swag. And uh, and then we, we kind of worked it out that uh, we didn't want to make money off him. We didn't want to feel like we were uh, using him. So we were like, you know what, let's just put this out to uh, raise some money for the podcast. Absolutely. Also coming up in a, in a few weeks, it's, it's going to be here pretty soon, is the Philly Met Ween Show. We will totally yes. be there. Philly Met, second anniversary. If anyone is planning on going, please, please, please let us know. Let us know who you are. We want to meet you. We want to hook you up with a sticker. I'm just going to have pockets full of our stickers and just hitting everyone up. So if you're planning on coming or if you're going to be in the area, you should go. You know, this is going to be a great, you know, make it your Christmas gift to yourself. 
that you're going to go see this show. You know what I mean? And let's get together and have a great time. Yeah, it's a beautiful old school theater. Yes, the Philly Met is an awesome old school theater and um, beautiful, beautiful place to see a show. Uh, we went to the last one a year ago, uh, December 14th, a year ago, and, uh, and it was mm-hmm. an amazing show. And, uh, and so they decided to do, uh, do, this, do another one this year. So we're absolutely looking forward to it. You know, and we want to meet meet you guys. So so hit us up, email us, let us know you'll be there. You know, we got stickers, but but more importantly, we want to get sound bites from you guys. We want to, to just hear you guys hooting and hollering for Ween and get your input, uh, just both on the excitement and the uh, and how the show's going. So so yeah, we're trying to get out, and we we want to get some some awesome sound bites from you guys. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, and. You know, hopefully we can get down there early, maybe hit up a bar or something, just get together with uh, with some other fans and just meet some people. So let us know where you're going to be, you know, who you are, what you look like, what you're going to be wearing, all that kind of stuff, because we definitely want to meet as many people as possible that night. So we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, totes. So for this episode, we were absolutely thrilled and honored to interview the one, the only, the Reverend himself. Be ill, Bill Fowler, the amazing guitarist for Sound of Urchin, old school friend of Ween. I didn't even realize myself how far back he went with the Ween guys and the whole extended Ween crew um, until, you know, this interview. Yeah, me too. Me too. You know, in in preparing for the, for the conversation with Bill, Rory and I kind of joked, well, what do you really know about him? And it's like, well... Not a whole lot, honestly. So the man is kind of like a mythical being. So it was <laughs> it was great to kind of like crack the shell a little bit and find out a little bit more about him. And like we said, this kind of like fell into our lap and we were like, absolutely. And it was a it was a great conversation, a great time. The guy was so generous with his time and just seemed to be more than happy to to talk to us, tell them, tell us some cool stories. And I just want to say for myself, I could, I think I can speak for Rory and say, I, I, I had a great time. Oh, it was fantastic. And, and, you know, learning so many, so much that I didn't know before. And it's so awesome to, to kind of be in a position where you, you know, have spent your life following a band and you, you, you have accumulated a body of knowledge, but to still learn new things, you know, that's just so awesome. Yeah. So awesome. And, uh, and, you know, he had you know, nice little tidbits to talk about, that he talks about with uh, his relationship with Ween and uh, Lambertville and New Hope and whatnot. So, so definitely it, it was an awesome interview. Uh, we're absolutely honored to, uh, to speak with the Reverend B. Ill for this podcast. Absolutely. So if you're a Ween fan, if you're an Urchin fan, if you're a New Hope music scene guy, you're going to be in for a treat. So should we go to the call? Yeah, man. Let's go to the call. Enjoy. So we are on the phone with the legendary Reverend B. Ill, Bill Fowler. Yo. Thank you so much. Welcome, Dio. How you Thank you so much for being here with us and taking some time out of your weekend here. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay. So, I guess, you know, for, for, for you, you know, I, I'm i a huge Urchin fan. You know, obviously both of us are big Ween fans. You know, and, and I don't know if I can speak for Rory on this one, but, you know, you're sort of like a, a mythical creature. <laughs> you know, you kind of you kind of have like a mysterious like aura about you, if I may. That is, you know, go ahead, Ron. It's ironic because I, you know, we obviously plan a little bit ahead of time for this, but uh, 
the ter- the words I was going to use was uh, mysterious and mystical. So we got mysterious, nice. mystical, nice. and mystical. <laughs> so, so and that wasn't planned either. So this is serendipity. That's funny. Very nice. It's it's almost like you know when you need like a guitar monster, just break out the reverend. You know what I mean? <laughs> that means that he said. Oh, that's so, awesome. So if if we could, let's just kind of go back to you know to the beginning of things. Where are you from originally? Um, I was uh, I was born in Trenton, New Jersey. Okay. Uh, and moved to Lambertville when I was really young, which is a the town across the river from New Hope. And, okay, I know uh, the Halloween scene in Lambertville. I know that the um, there's some hardcore Halloween action going on in Lambertville. Oh yeah, these these people do the this one uh, porch up. They're actually their whole front yard and porch and everything like crazy, and they get it gets amazing, more amazing every year. Cool. And then uh, and then their neighbors uh, have been doing like this pirate motif. And at first it was kind of small, and it was just like ah, oh, these teams are like not really competing that well. But this year, like they keep stepping it up. This year they had some serious cool pirate stuff going on. <laughs> That's fantastic. I was like, pr- sorry, I, was proud of, I was proud of the pirate. <laughs> What's that, homie? Oh, I was just saying, sorry to take us on a sidebar. I just love Halloween and, you know, Lambert Hill and everything. Yeah, yeah. Halloween Lambert Hill. Growing up, Halloween Lambert Hill was fun. So, and, and where do you live now, then? I, now I, do, I live in Lambert Hill. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah, I bounced back and forth from like the suburbs of Trenton when I was in, in uh, school and high school, and then when I was like, I don't know, in my, in my early twenties, I moved back to Lambertville, and I've been here ever since. So, have you? How long have you been a musician? Did you start by playing guitar? How How old were you when you started playing guitar? Yeah, my uh, my dad took me and two of my friends to see Kiss at Madison Square Garden in 1979. So I was nice, like, nice. Wow. Uh, eleven, and uh, after that concert, I was like, I didn't think I wanted to play guitar. <laughs> wow! So uh, I started taking lessons like shortly thereafter. And you you started on an acoustic guitar, or you started on electric guitar? Yeah, I started on an acoustic guitar. I wanted an electric guitar, but uh, one they got me an electric guitar and. I thought it originally it was a piece of crap, and I and I had them get rid of it and get a, an acoustic for me. And then later on, I found out it was like a vintage Fender guitar that I got rid of. Oh no! <laughs> <I> blew it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, how did I know? You know what I mean? I, was just like, I don't want this now, thing, you know? right? And then you know, of course, I wanted a Les Paul because Ace really had a Les Paul, but I didn't. I never actually it took me a long time to get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> How many guitars do you have in your uh, in your uh, collection? How many guitars do you work through? Right now, I have I have two that I'm play play. I have the SGs. I have an Epiphone and I have a Gibson SG. They're like almost they're rec- they, they're almost the same guitar. It's weird, but uh, and then I have uh, two Stratocasters, Fender Stratocasters, which sit and collect dust. And uh, and then I have two acoustic guitars as well. You know oh, that's nice. funny that you that's funny that you say that because I just uh, 
turned 40 a couple of weeks ago and I've never been a guitar player. And my wife was kind of, you know, like, what can I get him for his birthday? And she actually got me an Epiphone guitar. Um, and I don't really know much about guitars, but it has the P90 pickups on it. Is that something? Yeah, yeah. That's... Okay. yeah Epiphone. Epiphone yeah. is made by, they're made by Gibson, or they were, or Gibson doesn't exist anymore, so probably Epiphone has a, is its own company now, but they're pretty good guitars. I, I bought mine just to beat around because I didn't want to bring my Gibson everywhere. Right. And it turned out to be a really, really good guitar. So so you wind up playing the Epiphone more than, like, your your Strat? Yeah, yeah well, unfortunately, American Airlines broke my, uh, my Gibson, so it was, it's been being repaired for a while now. Almost. Uh, um, hey, uh, did it break the neck, or what happened to the guitar? Yeah, that snapped the head stock right off of it. Oh man, what a drag! Yeah, and I, you know, and I had a, a you know a pretty decent hard shell case, but I mean, they must have they must have taken it out of the case and leaned it on something while they were searching through the case. It probably fell over. They did it for me twice with each guitar, once with each guitar. So I'm playing the Apparently, do they give you any kind of refund or anything? Like, does that? Um, yeah, you do. I um, I uh, I didn't realize. You know, like I always throw all my stuff out when I'm on the road. My like all my air, air airline stuff. You have to have so much information to get to make a complaint on the flight number and the times and all this shit. I was just like, I, I was just like, you know, and I didn't have any of it. I would have had to dig to find all the information if they would even give me anything for it anyway. Like, you know, if I could even prove anything. Yeah. But, you know, that actually, it happened to me when I was a long time ago, the same damn thing. Right. But, uh, but my right. guitars are pieces of shit and they all suck. Right. <laughs> so well, now what I, I do, like, just move on yeah. with my life. Well, thankfully the SGs are small. So now what I do is, I uh, I check my bags and I bring the SG on the plane in a in a in a soft case and put it in the overhead because it fits. Yeah. Usually it fits right on top of everybody's luggage and it fits like perfectly up there. So I've been doing that until I get a really nice road. I tried to get a really nice road case, but the music store here dropped the ball and still hasn't gotten it for me. <laughs> I kinda have, but I haven't needed it because I haven't been on the road. So. <laughs> Carry on's the way to go, man. And you can keep an eye on it the whole time. Totally, totally. You know, right where it is, you know. So, well, speaking of, um, describe yourself as a guitarist. You know, we've seen you play, and, you know, we've described this sort of aura. But, um, you know, what kind of, if you had to describe yourself as a guitarist, what kind of guitar player would you say that you are? Uh, that's, you know, it's, it's, you know, pretty much a traditional, like, rock guitar player, you know? I mean... <sighs> I mean, that's the kind of stuff I like. That's what we play. You know, I play every week at the, in, at John and Peter's Invitational, and that's basically what we do is classic rock. Yeah. yeah. So who are your top, who are, like, the big influences for your, to your guitar playing? And you, you mentioned uh, Kiss. Well, Kiss, yeah, well, Kiss, Kiss was my influence until I discovered Led Zeppelin, and I was just like, wow, Kiss isn't all that great. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I still I still love it, but like for nostalgic reasons, but compared to other bands, they're 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 not as good as like you know the other bands. And then you know I got into my earlier influences were um, uh, Jimmy Page, Tony Iommi, from Black Sabbath, and then 
2014. Then I, then I got into hair metal for a while. I was into the, the whole Iron Maiden, Randy Rhodes thing. Uh, trying to think. And then I, and then I got away into Pink Floyd. So, and David, and David Gilmore has always has been one of my biggest influences ever since. Uh, yeah, he has an amazing, the, the solos and how he just makes it a sort of solo. Oh yeah, you can, you can like you know? sing in solos or like so yeah, memorable. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Like yeah, I mean, so, cliche, but yeah, Jimmy Page as well. He has some pretty tasty solos as well. But uh, yeah, and then from there, and then I went to the whole prod rock thing. Then you know, Robert Fripp, um, uh, Adrian Ballou, um, and uh, I re- and Steve Howe, of course. Which you know, I, Steve Howe still I can't play anything near as good as him. I, I'm still <laughs> learning to try and play like Steve Howe. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think uh, I think I'd like to hear the Reverend take on like you know tales from topographic oceans or something. Uh, you know, oh, geez, holy shit! Yeah, it takes wood shedding. But you know, and that, that, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, and then just because it keeps going, right? And then I got into the Grateful Dead. So, so then there's this whole Garcia thing going on as well. You know, that's so funny that that you you know you add a Grateful Dead. I was just gonna say. That you know, we did an interview with with Chris, and right. I mean, he almost said like the exact same stuff, you know. Right. And we when we asked about his influence, so you guys must have just been like, you know, brothers. So how did you first meet Chris? Yeah, Chris, he uh, well, when they first um, recorded the first EP, the Sound of Urchin EP that I'm not on, mm-hmm. um, they came to my house. I used to live at this farmhouse with the with the false front guys. And uh, they came to the house to rehearse with um, the bass player who later became Doo Brown in, in Urchin. Because he's, uh, he's the brother of uh, Mike Hewitt, who like, was Tomato's partner on that first EP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they came to the house to rehearse, and I sat in the other room and listened to them, like cheering them on the whole time. And then when they left, I said to Doo Brown, I said... Uh, you know, it's like I need to get in on this somehow, and, he's, and so like they decided to let me uh, play guitar on it. So I mean, and I, you, and I, I basically met Tomato that day when they came to the house to rehearse. But I mean, were you guys, talking about uh, Brookridge, right? Yeah, it's Brookridge. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So were, were were you guys just like, oh, I'm into you know this, this, and this. And then, you know, the other person just going, I'm into exactly those things as well. <laughs> like, it just seems like it's too good to well, be true. And that was weird. I was like, I didn't know what, what he was into at all. It was just like, I uh, I just liked what they were doing. And it was like, but the, the original Urgent album is very rap-oriented. Right. And, like, I was like, oh, man, like, that would sound good with, like, crazy leads over top of it. Like, we could jam out and not rap. And it was like, and it turned into that. And then... He started writing more of a rock style, and the guy, Mike Hewitt decided he didn't like to play live, so he left the band. And uh, then we kind of turned into a more of a rock thing. Right, right, right. Which uh, the record company guys weren't too happy about. <laughs> it didn't matter because the music business died right after we got into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy timing. Oh, yeah, the timing was great. We got signed to RCA, and the music business died. <laughs> Like, oh, no. <laughs> Great. But I think that's, that's really good, though. I got to say, RCA was really good to us as a band. Oh, we say, Bob? Sorry. Oh, no, it's all good. Um, So, 
how is, uh, can you describe how collaborating with uh, Tomato works um, with him kind of writing songs, but you obviously doing the lead guitar and so much of the guitar work? Yeah, yeah. Well, how does relationship like collaboration work? He kind of writes, he pretty much writes everything, like guitar, bass, drums, keyboard lines, like the whole thing. And sometimes he'll just put a solo section on there, like a rhythm section with like a scratch lead over it. And then there's some songs, like he'll play a lead that's so tasty that I'll just mimic the whole thing almost because it's just like he, uh, he he comes up with some tasty some, some tasty leads. Like there's a few of them that are... Uh, I just copied the whole thing entirely. Like, and uh, what's that? What song is it? Killers, uh, Vampire Killers. The lead in that was just like I mean, that's his, all his lead. I just copy it. But uh, Freaking, you know, but other stuff like you know, like I said, he'll like have songs like mapped out and just leave a section of it for lead to be put on, and like I'll go up and uh, just like do sessions at his house and um, throw lead on stuff. That's totally awesome, man. Well, right. I mean, you guys, you guys have been, you know, listed with the urchin project for, for, for so long. Um, you know, what is it, what is it like? And, and, you know, is it, is it fun or is it frustrating to see like other guys, you know, kind of like come and go or like, Hey, you know, if we just, you know, battled it out a little bit longer or, or you know, what is it like to have the other guys sort of like, you know, come in and, and, you know, work and, and, you know, maybe not make it as, as long as you guys have. Yeah. Yeah. It is frustrating. You know, I'm just, you know, like you know, because uh, at one point I think we had we were reaching a lot of momentum, and then two guys left. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and it kind of you know, kind of messes things up a little bit and slows things yeah. down. Because then you have to find the identity a little bit more. Man, and you know, some fans might not want to come because they like those guys, and you know, and then you have to cancel gigs, and the clubs get mad at you, and you lose that momentum. It's like it's the whole thing happens, you know. It is very frustrating. Right. It's also frustrating too that some people when they when they leave, they you know, instead of talking it out with everyone, they don't even say anything. Just sort of bounce. You know, I mean, it's like I can't think of you know not many of the people that have left the band that you know even gave me a phone call <laughs> saying they were leaving. They just talk to tomato. They just talk to tomato, and that's it. You know what I mean? That's that for me is the worst part of it. Oh man! Well, you think you know you spend all this time on the road with someone, and then you know I don't even get a phone call. (laughs) There's still time, everyone out there. If you're listening, there's still time. (laughs) Well, with with so much water under the with so much water under the bridge, what do you uh, right? Right. What do you think about like high points with Urchin? With so many, you know, you guys have been going at it for so long. Oh, and I know you made us describe some like hardcore drives out west and just crazy touring. And uh, when you, when you, when I look back at it, it's just like we drove around the country for ten years and laughed our asses off. Is basically what we did. It, it was it was one of the most amazing times of my life. Yeah, for sure. We did, well, some great, we did some great shit. We opened for a lot of great bands. We were on TV, we were on late night TV. <laughs> it's like we had a Rolling Rock commercial. I mean, we did a lot of stuff. Oh wow! I didn't know about Rolling Rock commercials. You know what I mean? We didn't ever like ripped or anything, but uh, it did, that didn't matter. So we just had a tremendous amount of fun. 
So is the Rolling Rock commercial on YouTube anywhere? I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Yeah, just look up the Rolling Rock. Celebration Rolling Rock commercial, or even on our site. It might be even on our web page or something. But, uh, you know, open it for Tenacious D, who were awesome. They were really good to us. That was a lot of fun. Cracker, they were awesome band to open for. Who would you say is, like, the, the, the one, like, the kind of most memorable or, or just, like, the biggest, like, you know, in all moment that you had kind of working with all these various artists and uh, uh, we got to open for, we got to open for Public Enemy once. Oh, wow. That was pretty crazy. Um, and got to hang out with them, like, backstage for a little bit, and they were super cool. I mean, not much, not so much Chuck D, but Flava Flav and Professor Griff were, like, really awesome dudes. Um, Hanging with Flava Flav. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I got to go in Flavor Flavor's dressing room. <laughs> you find, did you find that it was easier to understand him by the end of it? You know, that... Oh, he was cool, man. Yeah, I understood what he was saying. He was still Flavor, though. He was on his trip. He wasn't, like, normal or anything. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't just some normal dude hanging out in the dressing room. He was Flavor Flavor full on. Yeah, so you're not yeah. about to tell, like, the world, like, oh, yeah, he's really, like, you know... Uh, toned down in, in private, you know, he's a real cool cat, you know, you can understand everything he's saying and everything, right. you know, <laughs> he's just like that all the time, man. Huh? Right, absolutely. And uh, see, Jack Black jumping out on stage with us when we did the Rush tune at the one show we opened for them, it's just like, he was a super cool dude, as big as a superstar movie star he is, he was very, very cool and down to earth. That's awesome, man. He treated us really, really well. Well, one of the things that, you know, Chris had, had talked about a lot when describing, like, the urchin years was putting in a lot of, like, the work. And, you know, yeah, it's fun and, and you know, building this thing, but it takes a lot of work. And do you guys, okay, we practiced our ass. We rehearsed our asses off. Do you do you feel like maybe that was something where, you know, some of the other guys was kind of like, okay, well, you know, you have to be dedicated to just working and working and working and working. Yeah, that's the thing is, is a lot of people, you know, it's just like, when it's one person's vision, you have to either, you, you know, you kind of, kind of have to let one person be the leader and go with their, their thing. Especially when they're the one that writes everything. And it's just like, you know, I always that other people want to write stuff. And, you know, there's, there's a bit, there's room to collaborate. And it's not like Tomato wouldn't let anybody collaborate or anything, but it's just like, you know, so you have to go with the one person's vision. And sometimes, you know, they're a taskmaster a little bit. They want you to, it's their baby, and they want to hear it right. Right. And you know, yeah. no, it is. It's like that with a lot of a lot of bands. You know what I mean? And but you know, I mean, some people can handle it, and some can't. I mean, you know, it's, it's like you're in a band with dudes, you're like brothers. You know, sometimes brothers fight. You know what I mean? But you got to get over it. <laughs> the music comes first. <laughs> Absolutely. Well. I mean, we know we talked for a minute or two there about Brookridge. Now, I mean, when you talk about, you know, sort of like your, you know, mythical or your, your, you know, oh my God, like what was that? What was that like? You know, the stories that must have come from this farm. But I mean, you know, what what was Brookridge and, and how did you find yourself there? Originally, Brookridge was, um, let's see, who was it? Uh, Gina? Gina and, uh, and my friend George Altonen 
and my other friend, Anthony LaFaro, who are both members of False Front, they all rented a house together, farmhouse. Mm-hmm. And then and then Mean Lean moved in with them for a while. <laughs> and uh, I wound up, because we would rehearse there, so I wound up sleeping there a lot. And I was having trouble with my apartment in Trenton, and so I, uh, my roommate had to move out, so I was didn't, I couldn't handle it by myself. So I asked those guys if I could move in, and and Mean Ween was moving out at the time, so I just took his room. And I was like in like ninety nineteen ninety one or something like that. Wow! So talking, you're talking about some serious like early days of of you know, Ween and, you know, all those other, um, you know, you, you and all the other friends. I mean, that's that's going way back. Yeah, I met those guys. Um, actually, I met those guys and Mean Ween at a party and, like, uh, was introduced to them by Dickie Moist, Guy Heller, one of my best friends, mm-hmm. uh, at a party. It is one of his girlfriend's parties. And um, he's like, oh, you got to see these guys, man. They're awesome. And then... uh and then I went and saw them at City Gardens, and I was like, "Yeah, they are awesome." <laughs> and you're talking about at this at this time, it was just the two guys, then, correct? Yeah, the two with the tapes, yeah, yeah. Oh, they were so hilarious sometimes. And uh, and I remember they brought we we were at uh, I don't know maybe a year later when Godwin Satan was first finished. They brought the uh, the uh, final mix over for us to listen to at Guy's apartment. And, uh, I remember we were just sitting there blown away by it. Man, these guys really fucking got something here, man. Fucking they're laughing our ass off at half of the songs, too. So geniusly funny. That is amazing. Does that put you on the the back of Pure Guava? Are you on that picture? Yeah, yeah, that's Brookridge. Yeah, yeah. That's all of us. That's like a lot. Like, I think the whole band of False Run is on that picture as well as me. And the guys later... and Andrew Weiss is on that picture, and Claude's there. Like, everybody's on that picture. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So were you around for, like, the recording of, of both of those albums? You know, the, the Pod and Pure Guava, then? I wasn't around for any of the recording of any of that stuff. Um, um, I was... Any stuff that I was present for any recordings of were stuff that they involved me in. Okay. Like, uh... Uh, polka dot tail, and um, let's see, yeah, that's the one I can think of. Polka dot tail is involved in, and uh, Sky Cruiser, the single. Well, you know, we we had gotten some some inside information from uh, from Fred that we need to ask you about the the story of Sky Cruiser. That was the <laughs> one thing that he told us. Because um, I kind of, I kind of did that behind your back. I'm sorry. I, I asked. No, I don't care. Um, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> you know what research, we, bro. That's all good. What do we, what do we absolutely need to ask Bill about? And that was his first and only answer. Nice. Was for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, Sky Cruiser is basically a B side. To yeah. I think it was from like the Pure Guava era. If I'm not. Yeah. Old, it, it was like an Australian only release. Right, right, right. So it has like its own. Um, well, and it's a, a seven-inch vinyl uh, from Sub Pop, yeah, uh, Sky Cruiser, and then there was a CD of it, which was Sky Cruiser, and I think a couple of other 
songs that were on Pure Guava, but it was from that time period. Yeah, and then it had like a wacky remix of Sky Cruiser on there too, right, or something like that. Yeah, like a couple of different yeah. like versions of it. Yeah. Word. I so think what, I have that. I think I have it somewhere in my collection. So, so what's the so what's the story behind that song? Oh well, I was living at Brookridge, um, and I'm in the shower one morning. I get up, get in the shower, and I just keep hearing uh, like the the bass of it in two rooms away. Over and over again. I'm like, what is that? I'm in the shower. What the fuck is that? Over and over again. I kept rewinding and playing and rewinding because I didn't realize at the time they're overdubbing and putting tracks on. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And I get out of the shower and I can hear it a little clearer. I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I go up my room. I'm getting dressed and doing my thing. And all of a sudden there's a knock at my door. And Gina's like, Billy, you want to come put a guitar solo on this shit? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Run downstairs. He gives me his brand new acoustic he had just gotten. And uh, plug me in. And I record a solo on it. And, and the next thing I know, I'm on a single in Australia. <laughs> Small world. Small world. And I don't think they ever played that song. I can't remember any time they've ever played that one live. I don't remember ever hearing it live. I'm going to start requesting it next time I see them. <laughs> oh, yeah, just yell, yeah, for that. that was, that's, um, absolutely. Stump them with the Sky Cruiser. But, I mean, were you guys always just, like, jamming out with each other? And it, it just sounds to me like... Yeah, there was a lot of jams going on there. Also, I was going back to the... Like, I forgot to mention one detail about my guitar influences because I got to mention this too. It's just like in the interim and all that stuff. Um, when I met Mickey at first, he, uh, I was at the pod with those, with him hanging out one day and he had, he'd asked me if I'd ever heard Maggot Brain by Funkadelic and I had not. Wow. And he was like, oh dude, she's like, sit down. He was like, sit down, smoke this. <laughs> and I'm gonna play you something right now. Yeah, and so he so he turned me on to Funkadelic. Wow. Which is also one of my big influences. And now we and now we and now Mike Hampton plays with us on Wednesday nights. Wow. That's Which amazing, man. Unbelievable. Like watching that guy on stage, it's like almost stops you in your tracks sometimes. He's such an amazing guitar player. Well, can you describe and we asked uh Christmas as well, because the first RCA Urchin EP, you know, that, yeah. that was the first... The Orange EP, yeah, yeah. The, or, the Orange EP, I'm sorry, yes, the Orange EP. So that's produced by Mickey. Yeah. So can you can, so can you describe Mickey as a producer and what it's like working with him and sort of, you know, taking the lead from him? Kind of, I was just... The only thing I remember about it was just being a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He's, you know, but Mickey's, you know, he's like tomato too. In, in, in that respect, in the recording and stuff, like he, uh, he knows what he wants to hear. You know what I mean? Like, and but actually, before we recorded that EP, we uh, did like a day of pre-production at another studio with uh, Greg Fry, uh, who used to be uh, their old manager, and um, uh, and I and we kind of ironed out everything on that that day. Like we recorded the songs. 
like scratch tracks of the of like ten or twelve songs or something like that with Mickey producing and and uh and then we you know we sat with it for a couple months and then we went and got the studio time up in New York and spent like whatever how many however many days it took us to record that e p so the the original um recording of it that you did as, as you know, like the pre-planning recording, like the first ones you did. Is that the infamous brown-ass session? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't I didn't come up with the name while while we were interviewing Chris because he mentioned the same thing, and I'm like, I bet he's talking about the brown-ass session because I have the CD that someone had made for me. Yeah, so I have, I have that recording, actually. That's the um, one. <laughs> so basically it is I mean when you listen to it it's almost everything like fully fleshed I mean right. there isn't you know, it's, it's just as good as anything else really that was you know that was recorded with okay. it's absolutely great yeah I love the sound on it it's huge it sounds really good right I have a funny story about uh, Mickey on that recording uh, too um, on uh, Mr. Honley if you hear there's a there's a talk box at one point and mm-hmm. he set up the talk box thing, and I was going to record it. And Mickey was like, "He's like, hold on, man. He's like, my mouth's been on that hose for so many years. You don't want to put your mouth on that." <laughs> <laughs> so he recorded the talk box part. <laughs> <laughs> don't touch my talk box, man. Don't He's like, no, that thing's been in my mouth for so many years. He's like, I'm like. For my gig case, he's like, you don't want to put your mouth on there, man. Scott's <laughs> <laughs> not going to cover that. <laughs> well, you know what? And and I didn't, you know, I didn't plan on talking about this, obviously. But didn't you, didn't you talk about, you know, the talk box? Like, uh, how does that work exactly? Not to get too off topic or anything, but like, what, how, does it, how do you make that work? In the old days, what you used to do was take a cone speaker and attach a hose to it. Right, and then you would route it off of your amplifier or whatever, and so that the sound coming out of that speaker just only goes into the hose. Okay. And then you put the hose up next to the microphone, and when you put the hose in your mouth, the sound comes out of your mouth. And then, however, you move your mouth it's like a wah wah pedal, wah 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 wah. You know what I mean? Like fuck it, butt out, butt out, bow bow. You know that shit. Joe walked it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's cramping. really it's really nothing that's actually like connected to your guitar then? No. But now they have <laughs> units now. Um it's just like a box with a hose and basically what happens is it cancels it, it shuts the amp off and just runs the amp sound through that box then back through the hose. Okay. So you don't have, so you don't have to have the weird cone assemblage thing that you used to. It's like now it's all like a little self-contained unit, like an effect pedal. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is that, you know, back in the day, it seemed kind of kind of rickety. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You can you can buy. Together. They have all kinds of weird ones now that you can buy, like you know, Amazon. Well, I got mine through Amazon. <laughs> well, you know, obviously, you know, you guys are 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 big friends with uh, good friends with Diener and um, you know, and and Gener. Uh can you describe, you know, your relationship with the rest of the guys? Um, well, I've known Dave Drywitz since, God damn, probably early 90s. He, uh, 
we used to see Instant Death all the time. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Instant Death, so. Uh, he's, guy well. he's always up for a, um, whenever I shout his name at a concert, he's always right. smiles. Oh, yeah, Dave's one of the nicest people in the world. I can love Dave. So I said, if you piss Dave off, there's really something wrong with you. If you piss Dave <laughs> off. Have you ever pissed Dave off? I don't think so. I hope not. I really sincerely hope not, because I, I love him dearly. <laughs> oh, we don't really need to reveal any secrets, necessarily, but, you know. Right, right, right. If it was the public, if it was the public record. Yeah, and Claude, Claude's an awesome dude, man. One of the fucking, he's one of the amazing fucking drummer. Holy fuck. Yeah. Uh, sure. Glenn's a solid dude. I mean, he, and he's one of, he's, some people play keyboards and then there's Glenn. <laughs> he's fucking, he's quite amazing. I remember he came on stage one night at the Invitational and I was just like, oh shit, what songs do we know? And I was just like, what am I saying that for? Glenn can play anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then I stopped worrying. <laughs> and then hopefully it worked out well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, <laughs> the, well, let's, right. talk, let's talk a little bit more about the Invitational. Um, so you've been mentioning a few different people going. What's it like being at the, the Invitational? Um, you know, do you get there? How often do you get there? And um, oh, I'm there every week. Like I pretty much, I, I'm the singer now. Oh, great! So I like you know, I pretty much me. You know. We take roll call at the beginning of the week to see who's going to show up, and then you know we'll throw out throw out a bunch of ideas of songs that we might want to do, and then we'll go there and and, and throw it down. But yeah, I I sing most of the stuff now. Well, uh, how did how did this idea come about, and 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 how long? It's been a few years now that that yeah, it's been yeah. it's been going on. Yeah, well, so when the first thing to go on, I was like, I didn't I didn't used to play. I used to just go there and, and watch sometimes. And then, uh, and then one Monday, Mickey called me and he was just like, he's like, Billy, I'm hosting the Invitational this week. I need your help. He's like, I want you to come out. So I, you know, so I went out and we had a really great time and we just kept, we just kept doing it. It just like kept building and building and building and building. And, uh, turned out that, you know, I like to sing and like, we didn't have much, you know, a lot of male singers there. So I just kind of started taking over in that respect and it's been pretty awesome. And this guy's can play this guy can play anything. Like we have the they're amazing musicians that play on Wednesday night. And then on top of it, you know, sometimes Dieter shows up and then sometimes Michael Hampton or most of the time Michael Hampton from Parliament. He funks there. It's like we got some heavy hitters, man. That's amazing. Well and yeah. and how like I remember um uh I guess it was shortly after it started, you know, following Diener on on Facebook or whatever, and him basically saying like, "Okay, you know, like just make sure you're able to like keep up in general with like everyone else." Kind of like, okay, you have to be like a you know musician like enough. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, you have to know kind of what you're doing. Like that, that happens a lot. Sometimes somebody will show up and say they want to play, and they're like, uh it's like they, they really don't get what we're doing. They think it's like kind of more like an open mic. But then like two weeks ago, this kid showed up with a saxophone and the first we were like, oh, who's this guy? And he got up and played and blew our heads off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he looked great. It was like, I was like, holy shit, yeah, this dude's good. You know what I mean? I hope he shows up again. 
But like so, we have regular horn players now too. So it's basically kind of like it's classic rock, but in jazz format. Like I like sometimes I let like half of the people take solos. The song will be like almost thirty minutes long. <laughs> but it's great. Amazing. I mean, it just goes through all these phases, and they, these guys really know how to jam. It's really good stuff. So what do I you? Mean, so what do you do? You, you say you have uh, like Monday you'll start like okay who's coming and like whoever responds to you. That's how you started. That's how you get like the base of people. Then yeah, like we have a regular group of guys that's usually the house band. So I'll mm-hmm. you know we'll we'll send out a group text to those main like eight people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, see, and then, then usually, you know, if somebody can't make it, like if a drummer or a bass player can't make it, then we'll have to call somebody else. But usually we have like six guitar players. <laughs> Everybody wants to have so many guitar Oh, there's so many. It's like, and then Keith Kenny shows up too. So we got, you know, there's just so many guitar players. But it's all good. That's why I sing a lot now too. A lot of times I don't even play guitar, I just put it down and sing. So then, if if someone shows up like on the actual night, are they allowed to just like jump in? Well, like what we do is we'll usually play the first set, the house band, and then if you want to play, you like you know talk to somebody at set break and uh, and figure out you know what you know or if he can play anything or whatever you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, some people will have certain songs that they want to play. You know what I mean. But uh, and you know, we don't do we don't do many Ween songs, <laughs> and that's not I don't know I don't know if that's by choice. Or I know Mickey doesn't like to do Ween songs when we're there unless it's a song that he wants to do. Like like we'll do LMLYP sometimes or Squeal on the Pusher, but it's weird. Like you know, some of the drummers don't know the the proper the proper beats to that shit unless they learn it. Well, yeah, and I mean some of the more of like jam out. It's like okay, let's just do this because we can just jam it out, and then let's get, right. like you said, give the solos to whoever. All right, you take a solo and just do whatever. Right, it's all it's like you it's know. like all about the feel too. It's just like it's like trying to learn a, a Grateful Dead song. I mean, you, you have to do it right, or it doesn't sound right. You know what I mean? It's just it's like Weedens got that powerful thing about the way they play. It's just like not. It's not just straight laced. It's like <laughs> there's a lot of substance there, man. It's like you have to learn to get the right nuances. Stuff. It's good music. So, so has there been anything that has happened at the Invitational where you're like, man, this could have been, you know, this could have been like an amazing recording and better than something else or, or better than, than anything I've ever heard before? Like, are there just moments that have happened just out of the blue that are like, oh, man, like, that was just so incredible? Oh, every week. <laughs> every week, it's like that. Every week. Oh, dude, I, uh, the, the August Forming just made me uh, the tape from, uh, he just sent us the recording of uh, of last week. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm listening to the, there's this one tune. I'm like, in tears in my eyes. It's so good. I'm like, I just love this band. Like, it's like, it seems like they'll play, they can play anything. I haven't stumped them yet. Have you put awesome. together like an album? So you guys ought to put together an album of sort of the. Oh, that would be awesome. Well, Dickie's talked about that before, putting together a, uh, a, a release of some of the best juicy stuff. I 
to uh, remind him of that. I, I would purchase that. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people would. <laughs> yes, I would as well. <laughs> we, uh, normal, I'll be honest. I, I just pay for shit for free online, but I will pay for that. If you, if, if, I would like to make a grand list of every song we've ever played at the Invitational. It would be so huge. It's like there's only there's some songs we've only done once. Mm-hmm. Like we did, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, the love I lost by was it Harold Melville on the Blue Notes? I think the love I lost was a sweet love. That dude. Oh my God, that that was one of the most amazing. Yeah, yeah, that that was amazing when we played that, and like we did it once, and that was it. <laughs> That's so cool, man. That's so cool. Well, now you yeah. mentioned uh, you mentioned August August forming. Okay, now I don't know. Maybe should I not use his real name? I already said it. Oh no, I don't okay. care. Whatever. Sometimes I say okay. August forming. Sometimes it's Fred August forming. <laughs> okay, so Fred. So I just remember Fred as being like a fellow fan. Um, and seeing him like back in the day, um, just like, who is this guy? You know, he was always like really like, you know, rocking out and like jamming out and just really into the show. And, you know, got to talking to him a couple of times, like over, over the years and whatnot and found out he was one of like the main tapers. You know, we've talked about him on our podcast a couple of times of, of yeah. you know, we know Fred is, is at least one of the guys or a lot of the time was the only guy who, you know, recorded this show or that show or whatever. But how did you guys get together? How long have you been friends? I've known Fred since like like maybe two thousand two, two thousand one. Okay, okay. We were at a a a, 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 a mutual friend of ours, Peter Robleski. Uh, we were we were at a show in uh, uh, Oxville at this place, which used to be uh, the Tohican Tavern, to see a friend of ours' band play. And uh, my friend Pete introduced us, and we wound up talking like all night about the Grateful Dead and like bands and so. And like, it turns out that almost every concert I've ever seen in Philadelphia, Fred was at. But we didn't, but we, but we didn't know each other. Right. So crazy! Like I'll be talking about concerts, even the most random thing. Like I saw this one concert; it was Iggy Pop open for the Pretenders. Fred, like I was there. <laughs> that's amazing oh my god that's the one Eric was concert in the spectrum I was there <laughs> it doesn't matter how random or how small either he, like, he was there so funny so and and how did you guys get together this I guess it's I don't know if I would call it a new project how long have you guys been doing is it just called Bill and Fred or Bill, Bill and Fred's Excellent Adventure <laughs> Bill and Fred's Excellent Adventure I kind of dissolved out of it. We had a band called Spittoon since, like, well, they were already a band when I met Fred. And then okay. I joined maybe in 1992 or, or 2002, I think I joined it. And like, shortly after I met Fred, I started sitting there with those guys and then kind of joined the band. And then we played, you know, gigs for a long, long time. And then, uh, you know, people start getting married or, like, doing different jobs or whatever so you can't play so me and Fred kind of like whittled it down to a duo and uh, I'd say we've been doing the Bill and Fred's thing now for probably about nine years wow yeah so I was looking at a, a an old calendar the other day and it said 2000 2010 
that Bill and Fred gig, and I was like, wow, we were playing that long ago? I didn't even realize. <laughs> Time flies, man. Yeah, crazy. So what? So what do you guys do? What is the What is the show? It's just you uh, both yeah, doing your acoustic. Um, me and Trevor acoustics, but we you know I use effects, so it's like it's, I get some crazy sounds out of my acoustic. But uh, basically, you know, he has a lot of original songs, which uh, his a lot of his original stuff is a little bit more bluegrass oriented. Mm-hmm. So uh, we do the you know half and half, like Garcia and Weir. Like he'll sing a song, one of his songs, and I'll do like a classic rock song, and we'll do a Fred song, and we'll do a classic rock song, and, you know, let me just jam out, and have fun, and, uh, yeah. and then it's like, kind of, seems like there's been, like, a whole comedy element, too, because, for some reason, because we just, like, say stuff that's funny, and it's just like, I just, you know, I, uh, once we start, go- get, if we, once we get going, I just, I'll say anything, I don't, I don't, I have no filter anymore on stage. <laughs> well, what is your, you know, you've been in, in so many different bands and uh, so many different things that you've done. You know, what, what is what is your favorite thing to do? Is it to, is it to play a show? Is it to work on, you know, a new song? Is it to play an old song? Is it just to sit down and listen to something that you love? You know, what's your favorite uh, yeah, thing to I, do as a musician? I, I love playing live. I love playing live. I love seeing people dance. Uh, I love it, like, uh, if someone comes up to me, like, I have this one friend in town who has a really seriously bad back problems, and he always comes up after the invitation and tells us that the only time he doesn't feel any pain is when we're playing playing music. Oh, man, that's amazing. Just tells me that I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, if that's, if that's what we're doing for people, then we must be doing something yeah. right. I, I love playing live. Yeah, it's fun, and especially you know, I'm very fortunate to be playing with the people I get to play with. You know, the Tomato is amazing. Uh, the guys in Urchin, um, Brian Ellingham and uh, Matt Holloman, they're both amazing guys. Uh, you know, I get to play with Mickey all the time. So he's one of the greatest people on the planet, I think, and he's also an awesome guitar player. He's a uh, full of ideas constantly. It's like, you know, we go to the studio and hang out and like just to watch TV and all of a sudden we're recording a new song. You know what I mean? <laughs> it happens more often than not, which is awesome. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to do too is just like, you know, going over to hang out and watch like football or something and all of a sudden there's an idea and like, you know, we have a song, you know, a song is born. It's, fucking, it's a beautiful thing. Well, can you tell us a little bit about um, Mickey's new studio? I, I, again, new, I guess it's a, a few years old now, but um, so this is where you guys basically just hang and, and just record whatever you want? Yeah, yeah. It's all set up to record. Like, there's all, you know, instruments and everything's ready to go. Like, you know, you just click a few buttons and it's ready, you're ready to record. It's awesome. Wow. And, I mean, you guys yeah. can basically do you know, whatever you want and, and make it into something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, like the, yeah. you know, like the, the, the new Diener albums and things like that, you know, like so yeah. just do everything himself, you know, really. Yeah. Case in point is, uh, was it Waystation nine? That song. We were at the studio listening to a recording of the invitational where we were playing the rift. 
and okay. and Mickey recited the word, the lyrics to Waste Station Nine over the rift, and he was like, "Oh, what was that?" And he rewound it and listened to it. And he wrote it down. And he was just like, "I got an idea," and he shut off the recording, and it's just like we just started recording and turned into Waste Station Nine. So there's just always new shit just coming out of the ether, basically. Just, you know, whatever yeah. happens, happens, oh. and it just, you know, presents itself to the universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like and, Mozart, you know what I mean? He's like... <laughs> he just... And it's fantastic that you, um, you know, to be able to record at a moment's notice, right? I, oh, yeah. I know that. Awesome. I wish I, mean, I would, love, long, I would love to have that capability in my house, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, you know... I'm an occasional guitarist, and I've you know played music for a long time, and and I just so many times I've I've been jamming or playing something, and I think oh that was cool, and then I wasn't recording it, and then I'm like I don't remember anything but the last line, and oh yeah, it'll totally go right away. You're like ah, and it was awesome <laughs> in the moment, but you know no one else will ever hear that again. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so it's cool to be able to you pick up the recording and say all right there it is we can yeah man yeah it's awesome. <laughs> Well, um, you know, I guess we'll sort of like wrap things up, but, you know, we, we had asked Chris this as well, and, you know, I know he's a little bit uh, more involved in, like, the production end of, like, the Urchin, uh, you know, stuff and, and you know, has a, a, a good take on the, the recording industry or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I know this is a broad question or a broad statement, but, you know, where do you see the state of music today? Uh, kind of in a sad state, in a way. Other than like a lot of live, other than live performance, it's like, you know, if you want to see, I mean, I'm sure, you know, there are some good bands out there. Like, I, I really love that new band Krangden. If you, I don't know if you've heard of them. Krangden. Yeah, it's like K. It H K H R U A N G D I N. It's like a Thai word. And they're from Texas. They're a trio from Texas. They, Mickey turned me on to him. Uh, and I can't get enough of them. It's, it's like cool instrumental music. There's some singing on it, but not a lot. Very sparse singing. But uh, cool guitar music. It's just like, like, I don't know, mellow, but it's good. Mm-hmm. Thought to check um, it out. But yeah, music's rough these days, man. Like, you want to see somebody good, you got to see somebody that's like old enough to be your, your grandpa. And there's so much stuff out there, and there's so much. And they're all dying. There's so much noise. Yeah, and they're all dying. Like all the all the grandpas are dying now. So it's even, but if you want to see some good music, go see somebody old quick. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's kind of true. It's like you know, you have like the, you know the people from our our you know yesteryear who who made it big because that was yeah. that was what was you know you could do that back in you know the. Uh, yeah, yeah. 70s and 80s and and you know 90s you know the cream rose to the top and and all the guys who were you know worth the damn and were really uh you know putting in the effort and whatnot they were able to you know make it and, yeah yeah and now it's like okay well things are so much easier to do but now you just have so many people doing it and it's so much exactly. harder to yep. you know make any make any real money doing it oh. because it's so hard to like get you know the, the guys who are good and the guys who would you know really be able to become something. It's so much harder for them to like stand out. Totally. You know, well, you know for, as far as I'm concerned, right now the best bang for your buck is to see in concert. Of course, is Ween. Ween puts on an amazing show. You 
know, it's fucking, it's fucking, last like five times I saw them, they fucking blew me away. We'll be at the Philly Mat if you are. We'll be there. I, I probably, I, I most likely will be. Uh, and, <laughs> and then the other fucking band, speaking of old dudes, right now, King Crimson. If you can get see King Crimson on this tour, see them. They'll fucking destroy you. Seventy-year-old dudes up there just just playing mind-blowing music. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the last time I saw them, I was, my jaw was on the floor. <laughs> yeah. do, do you feel like it's still uh, it's still possible to make a living as a musician? It's possible, yet yeah, like I said, if you get enough of a following, you can you can play live for the rest of your life, right? You know what I mean? Because you know, along come with live comes merchandising. You know, you have good T-shirts. You know, and you you can make a really very decent living as a musician. Uh, but like record company wise, like having a hit that, you know, that's like, you know, if somebody really, if like a young kid asked me today, how, you know, how do I make it today? I'd be like, just get a song in a movie that people latch onto and they buy on iTunes. And then someone, if you can get popular enough like that, someone will latch onto you and start putting tons and shit, tons of money into you. And then you'll get a tour and then go from there. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, it's like there's you know, nobody's buying whole albums anymore except for old guys like me. <laughs> right. right. You know, it it's almost like, you know, the the, the big ass it's like unless they can come unless the record companies and, and the you know, I guess you can't even really call them the record companies anymore. It's like the media companies, you know, the right. the you know, unless they can come up with like a 360 idea of like, okay, you're going to make this album and then you're going to have this tour and then you'll be on this TV show or make, you know, make this movie. And, right, right. You know, unless they can make they a whole feel like they, can, they, they, you know, if they feel they can make money off you, then they'll pour, pour tons of money into you. Right. You know, but you if know, they don't, they're just doing a shell. You know, it, exactly. it's. It it's just it just seems you know it just seems like uh, I guess it's depressing which you really shouldn't even you know talk about <laughs> right right but, but you know but, on the other hand you know if you have someone that's willing to press the records and to uh, distribute them for you and help you out in that respect it, it's always nice to have a product on hand and something out you know what I mean because if you do you know go on the road and you can sell your records you know I mean it's the it's the whole reason to go on the road is to sell stuff. Other than playing right. music, right, right. <laughs> you know, you, you want people to have, you know, come out and see you and be able to take a package home. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I just remember coming to, you know, Earth and Trails. As a matter of fact, I think you might have handed me the Rejoice CD nice. from the, you know, from the show that you guys were. Rejoice was brand new, and it was, you know. Here's all the tracks you had just given them away on the on the internet. You know, okay, download these tracks. This is before streaming. You right. know, down here's here's all the tracks you can just download them for free, which I did immediately. And then right. saw you guys maybe like a week later or days later, and you had just given me this the CD like here, you know, and wow. just having those songs to listen to right after seeing them live and kind of you know hearing them a little bit. Before that, was just like, oh my god, this is amazing. And these guys are, uh, you know, incredible. And I mean, I, we both just want to say thank you for everything. 
Oh, right on, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Got it. You know, Rory, unless you have some something else. Nah, man, Rev, I, I so appreciate you coming on, and um, it's been awesome chatting with you and, and getting your side of things and your insight. And nice. uh, my pleasure, man. Yeah, thank you enough. Right on, my pleasure. Had a good yeah, time. We, we'd love to do this again sometime. You know, we could do the same thing to uh, to Chris. You know, if there's if there's you know a, a, a story that we miss or or something that comes up that we oh man we got to talk to you know the Rev about this. You know, word, word. Yeah, yeah. If you ever, and if you ever want me uh, miss dispelled, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> so, the legend, I've, I've been around those guys a long time, man. <laughs> the, the legend, the myth, you know, the uh, the creature himself, the monster, Reverend Beale. Thank you so much for everything, man. Oh, you got it, man. My pleasure. So, we hope to catch you sometime soon. Cool. Yeah, dude. Uh, hope Nick, if I catch you, if I. Uh, catch a glimpse of you at the Philly Met. Hopefully, I can thank you in person. But uh, oh, right on, man. I, I most likely will be there. Sounds awesome. Looking forward to it, man. Hi, right, brother. All right, man. Well, take care of yourself. You too, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Later. Got it. Peace. Wow, what a great conversation. We want to thank Bill again for spending so much time with us. He was just. Super great, and what a real thrill for us, really, to talk to uh, to talk to both Chris and Bill about their experiences with Urchin and being part of the Ween family and community. What a couple of absolutely great guys! Remember, if you want to get some sweet Urchin swag that was donated on behalf of the podcast by Tomato, hit us up. You're going to help the podcast and get some great Urchin music in the process. Hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash weencastpodcast, or send us an email, weencastpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter, at weencastpodcast, or hit us up on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. Join the group and invite your friends. Everyone is welcome to join. Hit us up at the Philly Met. We are going to be at the Philly Met show on December 14th, and we want to see you there. We want to hook you up with a sticker. We want to meet you. We want to say what's up. Have a great time. Maybe even buy you a drink or two. And until next time, practice your thumbs up. Thanks, everybody.